Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Story that's not just in history, but a story that's personal. 
and we get a story of an immigrant single mom who has, a, has very little say in her life and what's happened to her. But God reveals himself to her, and it's powerful. I want to talk about Hagar. Her story is complicated. It's not rainbows. It's not butterflies. It's really messy. Why honestly, like, too messy? To me, like when I first read it, I'm a little bit like, God, I don't really want to talk about all the layers in this. And we don't have time to get into all of the specifics of the story today, her story. But I think her story is honest, and it reveals a God who has compassionate love to not be stopped. Her story is the story of our Lord, the God who sees. So we're going to pick up in Genesis 16. So if you have your Bible, you can open it. If you have your Bible on your phone, if you need a Bible, we have them in the bathroom. Or maybe give a wave. Yeah, if you need one, they're back there. So we're going to turn to Genesis 16. And we're just going to look at one part of her life today. And so as you flip to Genesis 16, I'm just going to catch you up on where are we in the life of Hagar. So she is a slave to Sarai. Sarai is the wife to Abram. And what ends up happening is Sarah is unable to give birth to a child. But God has told Abram, you will give birth. And then this lady, Sarah, says, maybe if you sleep with my slave, Hagar, you can continue our lineage and continue the line of our family. And Abram agrees to this. And he sleeps with Hagar, and she conceives. And it's no surprise to us as the reader that the situation only gets more complicated in this. Yet to Ben in the story, it seems like a surprise that life has gotten more complicated and the wife offering her slave to give a child to him. But it is no surprise to us, right, as we're reading it. Anyway, I just think it's um, Yeah, so it's a complicated and, and story of brokenness, but God does something in this way. And so words are also going to come up we're going to start in verse 4. This is When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress with her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises you. May the Lord judge between you and me. See, complicated. They started this. This was their idea to do this. And now they're mad at Hagar. Well, actually, Sarah's mad at Abram, but anyway, again, there's just drama here. Okay. Abram, this is his response. Old response. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so he fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. And it was the spring that is beside the lake, sure. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man, he will, and his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. 
she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. And she said, I have now seen the God of the Lord who sees me. She is on her own. She's decided anyway. Understandably, she leaves Sarah after being abused. Understandably, she leaves this terrible situation and she moves on to what? To nothing. There's nothing out there for her. See, at the time, in order to survive, you were reliant on the community you lived with, the people that you were among. Even as a slave, you would have been reliant on this family. That would have been your livelihood. And so now she's a single mother and she leaves to go to the desert. And there's no provision. There aren't other people there. She's wandering alone and hopeless and powerless and wondering, what am I doing? She's fled from death and she's headed to death. In this moment, there's nothing in between. There's no sort of way for her to provide for herself. And so as she's wandering around, like, it's interesting, she doesn't tell the Lord, but this is where I'm going. Maybe to suggest she doesn't know where she's going. She's not sure what's in her future. She's lost in the fear of the unknown. But it's God who sees her. It's God who's attentive to her. And if what's interesting in the translation in this story is it talks about an angel of the Lord. But then in the back, at the end of the story, so she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. And so, like, what's happening here? How is she talking to a separate being? Is she talking to an angel? Is she talking to the Lord? She names the Lord in response to this powerful encounter that she has. And sometimes we just get a bit lost in translation. So I just want to unpack the, this phrase, the angel of the Lord. Often in the Old Testament, it can be used to suggest two things a representative of God, separate, other, but aligned with God and his kingdom. Or it can also represent a representation of the Lord, like a manifestation of God. And so it's less about what is talking to her, and it's more about who. It is the Lord. Many scholars in this narrative believe it's actually a representation, tangible manifestation of God moving toward her. And why does that matter? Why make a big deal about this question? I think there are two things. One, for her time, for her, for this time that this would have happened, Hagar is the least expected to be seen by God. She is a woman in a patriarchal society. She is a slave. She's pregnant out of wedlock, and she's not just pregnant with the promised son. She's promised she's pregnant with the other side. The other son that everyone is going to talk about forever because we're going to realize, oh, he's the one that's carrying the other son that God didn't say is going to come. But secondly, what's important about this idea that we get, that we understand what is actually happening here, that it's a manifestation of God talking to her, is that if it's not, if it's the separate representative of God, then that puts God away from her separate and distant from her clear pain and her clear need in this moment. But if it's God choosing to make himself known to a slave woman, choosing to be made known in the midst of her pain, 
choosing to be known and revealed and come close to That's powerful. That's transformative. And isn't that the God that we know? The same God that decided to take on flesh in Jesus and come to the earth and be made known to us clearly so we can see who God is like. Jesus reveals God to us. And so this idea of God being made known to the slave, Hagar, this broken woman who doesn't know who's hopeless and powerless, so many decisions in her life have been made for her, and she is left alone in a desert, abandoned by God, abandoned by other people all around her. But it's God who chooses to come close to her. God, who says, let me draw near to you. Let me, let me, let me tell you I've seen your humiliation. I've seen that you're pregnant. Uh, you, this is not, Hagar's not wandering in the desert and God's like, oh, there you are. I lost you. I wasn't sure where you went. God has seen her this whole time. God comes close to her. And it's less about who she is in this moment, and it's more about who God is and who God is revealing himself to be in the story of Hagar. For I have seen the one who sees me. Where do you expect God to see you? Where do you expect God to be present to you, to care? I think it's really easy that in a moment like this, in like a church gathering, you're like, oh, here. I expect God to see me here. Maybe you expect God to see you when you're with friends and you're praying. Maybe there are other things coming to mind. And so, what about the opposite of Where do you least expect God to see you? Is it a deferred hope or desire that you've longed to see come true? Or that you've waited and longed for decades, waiting for it to come? And in the beginning, when you wanted it and you knew that you had that desire, you felt God close, but in the waiting as the years have gone on, you've wondered, God, are you still here? Do you still care? Do you still feel this thing in me that I dream for, that I long for? I don't know if you see me here. Or maybe it's a pain point. Maybe it's a painful moment from your younger years that you're like, I can't look at that. Let alone do I want God of all creation to look at it with me. Or maybe it's a pattern of behavior you just want to ignore. You just think, that's not me, and I'll just keep acting like it's not me, and so I'll separate myself from it. Where do you least expect God to see you? And what is it? What is it about being seen that stirs something up in us, right? Like, I love to be seen. I love for people to recognize what's in me and say, I see you, you're awesome. I don't know, like, I don't know if you're sexy, but anyway, you can say this to me. Like, to see things in people, why is that so powerful? Because I think it's exposing and it's vulnerable, but it also is tender and lovely and deeply wonderful. I think there's something that happens when we're seen. I think it's it's not just this thing that comes up at some point. I think it's in us from childhood. This need to be seen, to be recognized, to be appreciated. And if you're a parent, you probably know what this is like. Or if you ever walk by a park, you know what this is like, right? Kids 
screaming, saying, Mommy, Mommy, that's me, Mommy, Mommy, I'm over here, I'm seeing those things, I'm seeing those things, what about me, what about me? My kids are doing everything they can to see the attention, to get the attention of their parents. And it's a beautiful thing, right? We don't look at kids and say, oh, stop. What's the parent out of love? It's like, no, I see you. Oh my gosh, you're down this line for the 75th time. Awesome. And I'm going to do it again. Like, it is, it's, an, it's, it's wanted as a child. And to be seen, this deep desire in us, I don't think it just goes away. I just think it changes form. And so that night at school from the ministry class, for me, what I wanted was I wanted to hide and pretend. But what God wanted to do was say, Cassie, I see you. I see you in the midst of your grief. I see you in the midst of the transition. I see you in the midst of your beauty. And I'm not far off, I'm close. I'm so close that I'm going to do it right now, right here, for everybody. Don't you just love when the Lord does things again? I wasn't expecting that. I'm really glad He did it. I'm really glad, God, you are God. You are who you are regardless. To be seen is to offer this belonging that someone walking into a party, looking in the room, waiting to just find their spot, find their place until they catch the eyes of somebody that they do know and realize that person's been looking at them already. Like, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad you're here. This moment of belonging, of ease, of relief. It's recognition by your boss to say, I see the hard work that you've put into this project that the late hours, the long days that you've done. It is great and I'm appreciative and I recognize it. It's recognition. I think it stirs something in us. It calls something deep within us to be seen. It calls something from deep within us. And it's not there by accident. It's coming to God. It's recognizing God has put himself as very breath into each and every person. And so to see somebody is to recognize the image of God that he has breathed into each one of us. And so when God sees Hagar, he's restoring her dignity. He's restoring the dignity that people for decades have broken down year after year, demand after demand. And it's in the sight of the Lord that something changes for her. Like something is powerful and that she's fleeing, very convinced, like, I guess the life in the desert is better than what I'm suffering with, suffering from, in this community. There's no great option here, remember? Like, she's so, she's so, she decided to go one way, so convinced. And she has this moment with God that that for her she turns back. So what happens in that? How can it be that transformative? This moment that she realizes God has seen her and sees her and will continue to provide for her. How can it be so transformative that it it causes her to change where she was going and go back? That is a question I have wrestled with as I read this text. And puts it this way, puts her story this way. He's from Bridgetown Church and says, The first name given to God in the Bible, El Roy, the God who sees, is Hagar, an impoverished, minority, single mother, 
who has been abandoned and forgotten, who discovers there in the midst of her pain a God who seeks. And to be seen by God is to be utterly transformed from the inside out. To be utterly transformed from the inside out. God seeing her in this moment seems to subdue her fear that she's been driving her away. And so no longer is she fleeing, she's returning. She's so secure. And the one who sees her, the one who has seen all of her, the abuse, the neglect, the abandonment, the pain, the running away, the fear, the anxiety, the swirling thoughts in her head, what will happen to my life? That same God sees her here in this moment. And those are the moments I think that we encounter thousands of years later, we're like, God, do you see me? When my thoughts are swirling, when things are calm at the end of the day, but internally, I just can't seem to find peace. When I just want to put a mask on, and when I come home, I just want to be unknown. And the Lord says, I see you. What's interesting is that's not God's sight that's new in this story. He hasn't stumbled upon her, right? No, God's sight has been on her this whole time. He's seen her. And we know that because he says, you're pregnant. And if you're her, she's like, yeah, I knew that. Thanks. Um, but what's interesting is he says, you're pregnant and you're carrying a boy. That would be new information to her. And he says, I've seen the way you've been promoted. not God's sight that is revelation here. It's Hagar's sight that is needed. Her eyes are opened to see the one who sees her. Her perspective, her awareness. It's her sight that has been changed to see, see him who's always been present to her. To be caught up in the gaze of the one who sees her. You caught up not just in God seeing me in my pain and leaving me with it, but caught up in the one who not just acts with love and compassion and mercy, but is love and compassion and mercy. And so the revelation in this moment of Hagar isn't just this painful, like, oh, great, now we're just looking at my trap together. It's a moment of deep connection. And she experiences love and acceptance and belonging and healing and hope in the nearness of her. That's why it's important to understand the angel of Yahweh. Because it's not a separate being. It is God himself who has been made known to her, who has gone close to her. And this moment isn't just historical. This moment is personal. God is a Lord, the one who sees me, sees me, sees Hagar, sees you. Because I'm going to invite the band back up. And we're going to have a time of worship and response. And I'm just going to pray that we would see that God sees us, that our eyes like Hagar would be open. And so would you just stand with me if you're able?
God who drew it all. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.